Hello and welcome to another episode of the Tech.eu podcast with myself, Neil Murray and Roxanne Vaza. Hi, Roxanne. Hi, Neil. Uh, so this week we have, uh, again, a load of great topics to cover. So we have quite a few European funds that have announced new funding. We'll be looking at Swiss German B2B, Dutch HenQ and Lakestars and eventually a couple other examples as well. We'll be talking about failure in Europe and the upcoming Failing Forward conference in Brussels in October and a focus on one of the speakers, Arthur Tolsma. We'll also do an update on BlaBlaCar's very big round of funding, which we discussed last week, but we have updates on. And we'll also mention Kima Ventures' new team. So let's kick it off with the new funding for these different European funds. So we mentioned earlier that it was Swiss German B2V. Uh, they've announced a 100 million euro fund. Dutch HenQ announcing a 50 million euro fund and European Lakestar announcing a 350 million fund. Yeah, so the, these have all occurred in the last couple of weeks. B2V happened this week and there was also a couple more that happened this week and they were KLM and Schiphol, excuse my pronunciation, <laughs> airport in Holland. They announced an 18 million euro fund looking at travel startups and Norta Capital also raised 70 million euros as well. So three this week and overall five just in the last couple of weeks. So I'm kind of embarrassed about this. I actually did not know any of these funds, which is pretty shameful, prior to uh, the articles that came out. Um, so it's perhaps worth it for us to also introduce them to the listeners as well. So B2V is a fund with offices in Switzerland and Germany, investing primarily in German-speaking territories. I think roughly 80% of the capital goes to German speaking countries and then the, the other 20 just goes elsewhere in the world. They've invested in companies like Paymail and Westwing and are looking primarily at marketplaces, e-commerce and fintech. Yeah, they're pretty prolific, actually. So I don't know too much about them either, but I do know they're prolific. I'm currently working on an analysis looking at the 25 most active investors in Europe in the first half of this year. And they are on the list. I think they're around 18th, 19th place, having made nine investments in the first half of the year. So they're certainly very active. So in, in terms of raising a new fund, it should be a good thing for the German speaking regions. And Robin's article that announced this new fund was also a little bit cheeky. He called them out for their lack of diversity as the team seems to be almost entirely male. I think readers should go check out the photo that Robin has posted with the article. Yeah, it was pretty shocking. In 2015, it's, it's kind of surprising. But in fairness to them, they're not the only investment firm with a diversity problem. This is a problem across venture capital in general and private equity. We're slowly seeing an increase in diversity in entrepreneurs and startup founders. So hopefully we'll see this happen in the investment scene as well. But certainly it was quite not shocking image, but a very uh, interesting kind of, wow, okay, everyone is a white male. And I guess the other thing that's kind of interesting about this fund is that it looks like they're getting nearly one third of its capital from its angel network. So they have over 200 angels that they're working with. And then the rest of the fund funding comes from private and institutional investors. Yeah, well, I found that really interesting because, you know, the general consensus is that Germany's investment ecosystem isn't very mature. So it's quite surprising that they can draw on such a large network of angels. I, I know actually what this might be is because they're just in German speaking territories, it could be across Germany, Switzerland and other countries. But still, 200 angels is quite a number. 
And so now moving from B2V to HenQ. So HenQ raised its third fund, has invested in companies like Mendix, SEO Shop, Monolith, and is looking for what they call, quote unquote, promising software startups, which that just sounds ridiculously vague to me, but I guess it translates into primarily Dutch B2B startups. Um, they're relatively early investors, putting in anything from 100k euros to 10 million, aiming invest, they're aiming to invest in another 20 startups over the next few years. Yeah, as, uh, again, good news for the Dutch scene. As I mentioned briefly at the beginning, KLM also announced the 18 million fund this week. So two new funds in the Netherlands just in the last two weeks alone. And the Netherlands, you know, is one of Europe's really up and coming scenes. So it's certainly looking very promising there. I mean, I think they're raising more money, more funds are looking at the scene. People are already talking about the Netherlands as being one of Europe's kind of prominent ecosystems now. And while I wouldn't put them uh, certainly in the in the top bracket, they are one of the up and coming ones. So good news for the Dutch scene. And now moving to the, the third fund, I guess Late Star is the one that I'm the most embarrassed I didn't know about, um, especially because in terms of fund size, it's only second now to to, to indexes. 400 million euro fund that they announced last year. So it's the number two in terms of size. So this is a huge increase as well to their previous fund, which was 135 million euro. They have a very broad investment size. It looks like they're doing anything from 500K to 45 million. Very impressive portfolio and track record, including Skype, Spotify, King, Klarna. Looks like they've also done Facebook and Airbnb in the US. Yeah, excellent track record, and particularly in the Nordics in Europe. And that's the reason why I do know them. But as you mentioned, yeah, one of the biggest funds raised this year. And what's interesting about this fund, I think, is that we've talked about on this podcast before about the funding gap in Europe, especially when it comes to those kind of bigger, later stage rounds. And while they do have quite a diverse kind of stage and investment size range that they have, they certainly are able to kind of plug some of those gaps. An example of that is the fact that they led a $45 million Series B in Helpline earlier this year, which is kind of a perfect example of a large Series B, which needs to be raised and was able to be raised by Lake Staff in that gap. So obviously, all of these new funds are great news. There's even more capital available for European startups. But what can we really take away from these new funds? Yeah, well, it's a really exciting last couple of weeks. So I think ultimately more capital is needed for Europe to compete. So it's really good news. And the thing is, people often forget that a billion dollar company or unicorn, you can only become that because you've raised a lot of money. So if the, there needs to be money available for Europe to be building billion dollar companies. So the more funds there are, the more chance that Europe has to compete with the US when it comes to capital, when it comes to competing with Asia. So definitely really good news and like real uh, signs that the European scene is uh, really maturing. So I guess maybe we'll be seeing more unicorns. Yeah, uh, should be. <laughs> now moving on to failure in Europe and the upcoming Failing Forward conference will take place in Brussels in October. Um, and we're going to focus primarily on the story of one of the speakers, Arthur Tuls Tulsma. I hope I'm pronouncing that right. So I should probably preface this topic before we go into any more of it by saying that I launched the first FailCon conference in Europe and France in 2011. So I have a very strong relationship with the topic of failure. But the reason I did that was also because I felt the ecosystem at the time could really benefit from this type of event. 
Yeah, I'm really interested to, to know how you feel that things have changed since you originally decided to set that up in 2011. I mean, it's four years now. Have you seen a big kind of cultural change or attitude change in terms of the way European entrepreneurs look at failure? Yeah, I guess I can really mainly just speak to the French example, but I can I can remember the early days where we had really difficult time getting people to give personal examples, personal stories. And we also had difficulty bringing on sponsors that were willing to put their logo next to a brand that had the word fail in it. And we've done three big events in Paris. I think the last one got a lot of support from, from several ministers in France, and that really dramatically changed everything. But I'm also just seeing there's a lot of attention being given to the topic. And so I think at least in the entrepreneurial space, probably not you know, throughout all of the French different sectors that people work in, but at least in tech, I feel like it's becoming just a topic that people are getting a lot more comfortable with. But let's turn our attention actually to the Failing Forward concept, conference. So this event will be taking place in Brussels on October 14th. And just as with many other failure-related initiatives, it's striving to help remove the stigma around failure in Europe. Obviously, tech.eu is a partner, and therefore we have the opportunity to share some of the stories of the speakers with you prior to the event. So Dutch entrepreneur Arthur Tolsma founded Gritik in 2007. So that's the, the story we'll be focusing on this week. And he shared with us some of his key learnings. I guess the company that he founded was working in the voicemail space, trying to make it more interesting. And he grew the team to up to eight people. One of the really interesting things that he mentioned is that they won a startup competition and therefore they felt like they had to tell everybody that they were doing great when in fact they had to close the company shortly thereafter. And he says in his interview, I think readers can, listeners can go read about on, on tech.eu, the full interview, but he says, applause, compliments, praise, that's all great, but it doesn't pay the bills. And I think it's, it's interesting because I also heard similar examples to that from Failcon events. Yeah, I can also relate to that myself, actually, mainly because it's, it's weird how people can view you as success on the outside, and yet, you know that you can barely afford to eat. And actually, from my experience, that kind of also then leads to imposter syndrome as well. Because then you think you're not who everyone thinks you are, or you're not doing what you should be. So I can certainly relate to that from my experiences when I've founded companies in the past. And it's it's a hard thing to deal with that having that kind of outside pressure of success. So it is kind of cool to, to kind of open up about that and to give that side of the story. Yeah, I heard examples where, for example, they would say getting press coverage, winning competitions, things like that. They're great. They bring attention to the business, but they actually distract from the business itself. Yeah. So another thing that um, Arthur has done and uh, will probably provide a lot more details on his experience is he's written a book called Startup Ups and Downs. So I encourage listeners to go and check it out. But I have a few additional questions, I guess, on the failure topic, just because it's so dear to me. Obviously, I'm well positioned to see how the French feel about failure, but I'm wondering, I guess, um, what is the, the situation throughout Europe? I was surprised to see a similar type of environment, I guess, in Holland. Do you think it's the same throughout Europe, including the UK? I'm wondering if every country really has a similar relationship with failure. Yeah, I think it's probably pretty similar, to be honest, but I do think it's changing. I mean, I can also give an example of when I, when I first moved to Denmark, there wasn't like a huge scene or there wasn't many entrepreneurs. And kind of one of the reasons for that was because the general public had a negative perception of why would you risk your, you know, well-paid job to go and start something 
which could ultimately lead to failure. So it was kind of even above the, the end result of potential failure. It was the fact that people didn't even want to take the risk because failure could be at the end of it. So I really noticed that when I first moved there. But in the last couple of years, that's changed. And I think that's changed across Europe is, is people are more kind of accepting of failure. They accept that that is a possibility of, of when you start something, a lot of the time you are going to fail. And I think that more and more people have become aware that if that's the most likely goal, then you've got to be pretty okay with that. And I can also tell you that in France, actually, something that made a huge difference was uh, a previous minister actually wanted to launch her own failure-related conferences. And this dramatically changed the perception of failure. It got a lot more people engaged on the topic. So I'm wondering, is this is the, is the issue that we have with failure, is it simply a cultural shift that needs to happen? Or is it actually something that we need to get policymakers involved in? I think it's a cultural thing. I think a simple shift from recognizing that those who've tried and failed have achieved more than those who've just sat and done nothing is all that it takes. But it also does come from people talking more openly about their failures and subsequently becoming less of a taboo. One of the most interesting, I, I organized a talk with Brad Feld a couple of years ago in Copenhagen and no disrespect to Brad, but the best part of the event was at the end we were all just standing around having a chat. And one guy, entrepreneur there, he was given out a load of Bradfeld books. Um, he said, oh, everyone can have them for free. I'm just getting rid of some stuff because my startups just failed. And he, he talked so openly about it. And he made it seem like such a kind of everyday thing that it was so, it was inspiring to hear his story. And I could see that everyone else in the room kind of got so much from him talking openly about it. So I think it's really, really important to talk about it. Yeah, I agree. And I think also another um, interesting kind of reaction that I've, I've noticed to the topic of failure is that we, we have kind of conflicting responses to it in the ecosystem. I feel like half of the ecosystem loves this type of initiative, you know, encouraging people to talk about failure and and the other half thinks that we're trying to make failure okay. And they almost seem to ridicule this attitude. Yeah, I don't think we should be putting failure on a level kind of field with success. So we shouldn't kind of praise people as much for failure as we should for success. But we shouldn't look down on it either. I think a balanced approach is needed. But I do think that glorifying failure is perhaps a step too far. But what we should do is make people comfortable with the topic. And I agree. And I think probably most of these conferences are oriented more towards learning you know, how to avoid certain types of failure and mistakes. So I think that's something that everyone can benefit from. Anyway, in the upcoming weeks, we'll be sharing more failure stories leading into the conference. So now going to Blah Blah Car, which we covered last week. Uh, so this is the French ride sharing platform that was rumored to be raising a $160 million round, which would value the company at $1.2 billion. So the news was actually confirmed this week that the company has in fact raised 200 million from Insight Venture Partners, Lead Edge Capital, and Vostok New Ventures. And this would value the company at $1.6 billion. So that makes them officially a French unicorn. Um, also, the company, I guess, has kind of clarified that even though we speculated maybe they're looking at geographies like the US and China, that their next geographical move will be Latin America. They currently have 12 offices, are operating in 19 countries, and have a 350-person team that is expected to double within the next year. 
Yeah, I was quite uh, surprised to see the round so significantly higher than originally reported. But I think it's absolutely fantastic for the French ecosystem to have its first unicorn. I was really excited when this round got announced. I don't know why. Like, I just really feel that they're going to do big things. And I thought, wow, you know, what a huge round for Europe as well. $200 million. And it is. But actually, I did some research and discovered that it's actually only the 10th largest round in Europe since January of last year. So that really shows how far Europe has come when a 200 million round is only the 10th largest in Europe in the last 18 months or so. And yeah, you mentioned the new markets and we we did talk about the US last week. And I actually found a quote in the New York Times of Nicholas Brousson saying, with the funding we have, it makes sense to try North America at some point. It's not the easiest market to tackle, but no one is doing what we're doing in the US. So perhaps we're right. They may well look at it at some point. I think that's probably what we should expect from them. Uh, I feel like everybody eventually gravitates towards the U.S. at some point. Yeah, I mean, the only uh, thing that I found quite amusing regarding the the blah, blah car round was that they, they raised this big round. You know, they got all the all the headlines. They They instantly became Europe's fifth most valuable private VC-backed company. And then literally a couple of hours later, HelloFresh announced an $84.7 million round, but with a $2.9 billion valuation. So kind of dwarfing the, the blah, blah car news and the valuation. And instantly the rocket-backed HelloFresh jumped above blah, blah car immediately, knocking them down to six. And HelloFresh went in and became the fourth most valuable private European company. So yeah, I mean, it was literally about nearly 300 million raised within a couple of hours in Europe. I did a quick look and that was about 5% of the total venture capital raised in a year in 2010. So again, another sign of just how far Europe is going. That is really exciting. That I actually hadn't hadn't thought of, but I'm just imagining if we had some kind of real-time ranking for the different unicorns in Europe. It looks like it would have just been all over the place for those few hours. Yeah. Um, so now let's now move our attention to Kima Ventures' new team. So this is obviously a fund that I think has grown its brand a lot in the last few years. Uh, it was started by French billionaire Xavier Niel and Israel-based entrepreneur investor Jeremy Barabee. The fund considers itself as the quote-unquote most active angel investor in the world, doing some 100 investments per year since its launch in 2010. So to date, they have 330 companies in their portfolio, primarily seed and sometimes series A. So Barabee uh, announced earlier this year that he would be leaving the fund. And I guess since then, there's been a lot of kind of curiosity and mystery around what would happen with the fund. And so earlier this week, Kima announced that they have two new partners, so including Jean de la Roche-Bochard and Vincent Jacobs. I don't personally know Vincent, but I know he has been working for the fund already for several years. And then there's Jean, who I know personally, and he has a very impressive track record. He's worked for Adder Finance in France before joining the French accelerator, the family, as a partner and lead investment guy. So he was kind of the, the guy driving some of the, the funding for companies like Captain Tran, uh, Algolia. They've raised, obviously, 10 plus million uh, with some very high level investors. So, so he's kind of the guy behind that. And what we've seen from Kima this week is that their strategy may change but but not so much so we may see them doing a little bit more of series a it looks like also one of their previous associates who's michelle saseno will become an entrepreneur in residence and the fund will be seeking two new associates to join the team so 
if there are any listeners that would be interested in that, I encourage them to check it out. Kima also has an incredible deal flow and has done investments in companies like Sparrow, which was acquired by Google, Front, which is a Y Combinator startup, Lengo, we covered it on a previous podcast, recently raised 10 million, and even AngelList. Yeah, they're incredibly active. I know I was saying B2B were active earlier, but Kima are on another level. Um, actually, they, in the analysis, they're actually third most active in Europe in the first half of this year. So it will be interesting to see if they participate in more Series A, because they do such a good job of already providing seed funding to, to European startups. I think that will be interesting to watch. And while I don't know uh, Jean personally, it seems he's got a perfect track record to fit in at Kima. So I definitely look forward to following that activity further, because I think they're having a positive impact on the European scene. Yeah, I agree. I don't think they could have found a, a better profile than Jean at this stage to take that job. So uh, that will be it for this week. We just want to remind all the listeners that next week on September 21st, tech.eu will be participating in the European Innovation Day in Silicon Valley. So if you are there, be sure to come and check it out. Say hello to the team. We have some amazing European startups that will be there. Otherwise, we look forward to speaking with everyone next week. Yes, definitely. And you can subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. You can leave feedback for us. You can reach out to us on Twitter. I'm at Neil S.W. Murray. Roxanne is at Roxanne Vaza. Obviously, we're on tech.eu and the podcast will be up on Monday as usual. Thank you.